0: support for the game podcast is brought to you by starcitygames.com the world's largest independent retailer for magic the gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web if you would like to support the game podcast feel free to check out our patreon page at patreon.com slash the g a m podcast
1: Welcome to episode 102 of The Game Podcast. I am your host, Brian Gottlieb, and we are still doing guests, believe it or not. Our, our streak of guests will continue as we go on to this episode. It's a guest you're probably quite familiar with, though. My guest is Jerry Lost But Seeking Thompson. Jerry, what's the deal with the name this week?
0: Well, it's Pro Tour Week, and as always, it doesn't matter how prepared I think I'm going to be the last few days before deckless submission You're just kind of scrambling, trying to figure things out, and it's stressful in the best possible way.
1: Uh, I I saw the name and I got excited and thought you were going to come on and just talk Amulet with me for an hour, which I totally would have been into at this point. I'm all about the Amulet life right now.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry to get your hopes up, man.
1: Yeah, I I see what you're saying, though. You're you're in the crunch time right now. We certainly appreciate you still taking the time to do this show. I, I know how those last few hours heading up to the pro tour can be very stressful. Why don't we start just talking about what your preparation processes look like for this pro tour? When did you head to wherever you're at right now? Uh, Who are you working with? You know, just give us the breakdown of of what your preparation has looked like.
0: So my six player squad for the team series, Team Legion, is myself, Ben Friedman, Oliver Two, Oliver Tomiko, Noah Walker, and Jacob Wilson. And... When Steve Ports owner of Legion, was trying to put this team together, he was like, you know, I, it's not a requisite or whatever, but it would be cool if the team actually worked together because that's not necessarily something that happens every single time with a Team Series team. Like, he wants the team to actually be like a unit, which I can certainly respect and agree with. So we made a Facebook group with these guys. And then Efro uh, contacted me saying that like him, Dave Williams, and Mark Herberold were kind of free agents. So we added them. And then uh, Corey Burkhart, just ended up without a squad and then we later added Mattia Rizzi and Rob Paisano who were in kind of similar situations so that is the entirety of our Facebook group.
1: Uh, That sounds like a pretty big squad was that about 13 people you listed there? 11? 11 counting's hard you know that's not my forte that's why I don't play burn but but anyway so you have your people together now are you in the same physical vicinity at this moment or is it still just Facebook talk jamming out decks that way?
0: So honestly, I don't know where everyone is at the moment. I got into Atlanta Thursday night for the Grand Prix. I played a little modern action and then Efro got in Monday. So now I'm staying with him. I have him uh, just kind of hanging out in the other room. And as far as everyone else, I don't know. I mean, I assume, I assume they're going to be at the Pro Tour. I assume they're going to show up at some point, but I have no idea when.
1: Okay, so it hasn't been the kind of lock yourselves in a room and, and jam it out for 12 hours a day type pro tour testing process.
0: No, no. I mean, we're, we're all sharing ideas and the, the Facebook page is very active and everything, just kind of what you would normally expect. But yeah, there have, there haven't been like a lot of uh, discord car calls or anything. Like I, I discorded with EFRO on Friday, I think before the GP and we were playing with our deck during that point And yeah, just since then we're we're just chatting, sharing ideas. Like I don't think we're all going to play the same deck or anything, but we we do agree with where the format is and and what's going on with the metagame and stuff. So, the the team stuff has worked out pretty well so far. I think just people have different inclinations for like what they should play. You know, like certain people lean towards Golgari and stuff like that.
1: Right, and I think that's always going to be the dynamic on on any team. When you're doing pro tour testing, I mean, obviously you've played a ton of these now. Do you prefer kind of this loose conglomerate, just exchange of ideas type situation? Or do you like being sequestered and and working face-to-face with a large group? What's your personal preference?
0: Both have their advantages. I, there is, there is going to be a, a point someday, maybe soon, where if I'm testing for a pro tour, all of my testing is going to be out in the open like I, I definitely want to do PT testing like that at some point and just work by myself and see what I can accomplish. And also just like share that with everyone else. Cause I think that'd be a really cool experiment, but yeah, for right now, since, uh, Steve wanted the group to be focused and together, I, I wanted to do it that way. And everyone else has different commitments for when they can, you know, come in and uh, dedicate their time and everything. So I think this works best for the group that we have, but Obviously, just hanging out with a group of, like, 20 people for a couple weeks in a row is pretty fun, and I definitely like that, and there are certainly times when I miss it, you know, but this is more of just, like, I get to do my own thing, share my information on Facebook, and it's just kind of, like, more relaxed, more chill.
1: I I think that, as an outsider to the professional magic scene, a lot of people would be surprised at just how informal this process can be sometimes and how much of it is just Facebook chatter. Like It's crazy how often that's how all but the most dedicated testing teams go about their process. And we know there's a few groups who still get together in person and lock themselves away for a very long stretch of time. But that's very, very difficult for most people to do. You know, the reality reflects that. That's why people work in these kind of digital ways now. And and I don't think there's any real problem with it. I think you can find success under this method just as well as you can be in the same vicinity.
0: Yeah, the the difficulties arise when it comes to sharing information where if you're in the room with 20 people, you're gonna hear a lot of stuff, like a lot of conversations and everything where right. those things don't necessarily just get shared on a Facebook group or like You know, in our case, with everyone kind of working individually and sharing what they learned, like the quick hits, you're just not even having those conversations. Period. So, I do think that getting everyone in person does lead to uh, a lot of people getting on the same page and knowing more things just in general. But you know, it's all it's all pros and cons. You know, of course, of course, trade-offs. So.
1: I guess enough about the actual process of testing. It's it's the point in the podcast where I pluck at you for little strands of information and trying to get as much out of you as I can. And usually it's a lot. You know, you're probably by far the most open player when it comes to Pro Tour. But at the same time, uh, I think both myself and our listeners respect the fact that maybe there's some stuff you're not going to be able to talk about. If that happens, holler at us. But can you give me your big picture of the metagame as it stands right now? Like, How do you evaluate what's going on broadly in the format as as you define your tasks over this week and a half, two-week period that you've used to set up your deck for the Pro Tour?
0: It's tough because there hasn't been a ton of information for this format. There was one weekend where there were two Grand Prixs, mm-hmm. and then there was a, a Mox on Saturday, and I think another decklist dump on Monday, but there probably won't be another one until Thursday. So like right now with, with how fast the metagame is moving and everything, it's really disappointing to not get like that last little bit of information. Like if another thing of five O's went up today, I think that would have been really helpful, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And I don't know exactly what people are going to be playing the grand prix. Like we talked about last weekend, basically just told a different story, you know, and, in one of them, Golgari just got completely smashed and the other one Golgari did a little bit better. And you basically said that the the American metagame where Golgari got smashed was probably about a week ahead. And I mostly agree with that. And then given the metagame from those two tournaments, our group actually built a deck that we think was quite good. And as, as of Friday, like I was super happy with it. And then the mocks happened on Saturday and suddenly there's just all these Boros aggressive decks, just like white token decks, splashing heroic enforcements which were very good against like the Drake decks, the Golgari decks and the Jeskai control decks. So now it's just like, okay, well, what do we do with that information? And like, how are people going to adapt going forward? And like right now, it's just impossible to even tell how people are going to react to that information because we don't really have a, a follow up to that. You know, like there, there is no deckless dump with information telling us how people are going to react.
1: So I guess I would pose the question to you then, how do you react? I mean, what's the natural predator for when the the metagame gets a little leaner, a little bit more aggressive? You know, cards like Clarion started to disappear from main decks a little bit. Is that a card you see on the uptick to answer this, or is it just you know too vulnerable to too many of the other archetypes? You look at a card like Deafening Clarion against Golgari and Phoenixes, and it looks pretty silly, honestly so maybe the answer is somewhere else, uh, settle the wreckage maybe becomes a popular card again. What's your thought on the proper response to these aggressive decks that showed up at the mocks?
0: The problem with deaf and Clarion is mostly a Danto Vanguard, but also kind of, uh, dauntless bodyguard to some degree where Mm. even if you cast your sweeper, they will almost certainly still be left with something. And then they get to play history Benalia or Benelish Marshall and just keep attacking you. And, Adonto Vanguard has really just been a huge issue for a lot of these decks because Golgari's is mostly creatures. They don't have a lot of room for things like Moment of Craving and they're not really set up to play Necrotic Wound or anything. So it's kind of weird. It's like they they want the removal spell to hit Takali Honor Guard, but a lot of the stuff that hits Honor Guard doesn't touch Adonto. So it seems like Golgari in its like current slash previous form is likely not going to exist in the same way at the Pro Tour, I would expect a lot of people to make significant changes to their Golgari decks. And I mean, we've talked about this before, like Golgari just has a bunch of different viable options and it's almost impossible to actually discern what is correct or what isn't.
1: Right, right. You have to really be able to pin the metagame down. I want to back you up for a second. I don't don't know if you're going to respond to this question well or not, but you kind of intimated that you thought you had things figured out maybe before the mocks, do you want to talk a little bit about where you were falling uh, at that point in time?
0: Yeah, I we were, you know, we being like me and you and and Josh Cho and some other folks were working on the Is it Arc Light deck, and what ended up happening there was the sideboard plan of Niv Mizzet plus Dive Down was just a, a complete game changer in a ton of different matchups. Like Golgari would have. All these chupacabras and vivians and stuff and try and fight your crackling drakes that way and then you would just hit them with the dive down and it would just be game over and against control if you could just play a niv-mizzet or even in the mirror you just play a niv-mizzet have a dive down to protect it if you untap with niv-mizzet you almost always killed them so instead of playing the, the arclight phoenixes i just started playing with that shell in kind of like this is it control shell and then Efro had the idea of adding the eldest reborn because other people were doing the same thing like they were there were a lot of dive downs a lot of nib mizzets and the eldest reborn is just like the cleanest answer to it
1: right good pickup for sure um and you know you get your own nib mizzet which is always nice so where where did that go wrong just decks were going too wide for you to contend with at
0: that point just the, the boros deck is a, a heinous matchup. Like, yeah. Adano Vanguard was by far the biggest problem for any sort of blue-red deck. People were playing things like Entrancing Melody, which just isn't even good against it, you know? They're they're just scrambling for answers. We were thinking about Merfolk Trickster, Deep Freeze, Chamber Sentry, just, like, all of this nonsense to try and beat this two-mana 1-1 creature, you know? Realistically, uh, we could have played some amount of Moment of Cravings, but there's a lot of tension because you need shock for... Early removal, like you need to be able to hit their one drop. Otherwise, you're you're just going to fall too far behind. And right. Lava Coil obviously has a bunch of very important targets between the X4 Drakes, Rekindling Phoenix, stuff like that. So it, it's it was just really tough. Also, like the, the mana was not great, obviously, because you need all of this blue and red mana for Niv-Mizzet, so you can't really play any basic swamps. So every dual land you add to your deck is a pretty big cost, actually. So it was like, all right, we can splash Moment of Craving, but maybe we can't cast it until turn four.
1: Yeah, not quite as effective in that situation, right?
0: Right. So I was I was trying to go hard on search for Scanta and just turbo out Niv It. Efro was playing uh, Sark and Fireblood and trying to do it that way. And one of the things that kind of kept coming up was like Spell Pierce is is really good. It it has a lot of very potent targets in basically all the decks right now. But mm-hmm. between having things like Spell Pierce, Shock, or Fiery Cannonade, just the red removal that doesn't kill everything. And the Eldest Reborn, you just had a bunch of awkward draws where your cards didn't necessarily line up. And then especially when you were on the draw, cards like Sarkin and the Eldest Reborn got much, much worse. So I think the strategy was good and the power level was there, but there was just some Weird inherent variants that didn't have anything to do with the deck necessarily. It was just like you—you you need your cards to line up perfectly.
1: Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Some kind of classic mid-range problems, right? The type of things that mid-range decks have historically dealt with. You draw the wrong half of your deck in the wrong spot, and you get punished. And that's been my experience, especially with a card like Sarkin incredibly variable based on play draw and just where the game is at. Sometimes it feels like the best card in the format. Other times it's like, why would I put this unplayable dredge in my deck? So I I could see how you could certainly run into that problem on a consistent basis.
0: Yeah. I I played a game against uh, or match against Seth on Mado on Friday where I played turn three Sarkin, turn four Niv and he just conceded and then he's he's playing Jeskai control. And then in another game, he played Niv with a mana open and I just drew the Eldest Reborn and he conceded. So and and
1: that moment, you're probably feeling pretty good, right?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm just like, this. God, this deck's incredible. Like if people are doing this stupid stuff like Golgari and Jeskai and I was just like, yeah, just lock it in. Let's go. Uh, and then the White Weenie deck happened and it's like, well, we're already bad against a Danto Vanguard and that wasn't seeing a ton of play. But now it's that with a bunch of sweepers and just everything's a problem. You maybe have... Uh, a sweeper like a fiery cannonade or whatever they have a thing left over they play heroic enforcements and you just die
1: yeah yeah fiery cannonade i mean we're we're making do right we're we're not super excited about that card
0: and then post board you get bane fired too so it's just it's not good and i i wish the pro tour was last week because i I think we would have had a great deck and maybe a lot of teams would have figured out that this boros deck is actually really good and they would have played it and we would have gotten smashed we would have looked stupid but Instead, it was like, all right, back to the drawing board. We did all this work and spent all this time on this one deck, and we just got to scrap it.
1: So I'm going to ask what feels like a very you question to ask. Usually, I'm the one on your side of the table here. But it it feels like you're telling me all these reasons Boros is great. Why aren't you playing Boros? I mean, it seems like a pretty reasonable consideration at this point. Uh, It may be wearing somewhat of a target, but still somewhat new. And maybe people haven't figured out how to deal with it yet.
0: Yeah, I basically have not worked with the deck i left that up to a lot of the people in my group and at first they were super high on it but now i think they're they're playing against more resistance and people are adapting and making changes to their decks and i've seen you know things like plague mare and goblin chain World are like a little bit more mono red out there and everything so i don't know I, th- I think people are adapting it's just part of the problem is we don't know how people are going to adapt so we can't really next level them. So then it's like, all right, are we just supposed to play like a good stock deck? I don't know. But I think that that is probably the deck that you should not be playing in this tournament.
1: You think Boros is a deck that is going to be overly targeted when Friday comes?
0: It's the litmus test. I think that everyone has to be able to beat it in order to compete. I think that the mocks results, especially with very little information after the fact, are going to lead a lot of people to play that sort of deck.
1: That seems like a reasonable interpretation of results and, and what to extrapolate from them. So let's kind of go back to the format at large and how it lines up against Boros for a minute. We talked about the it decks having a very pronounced vulnerability to it. Uh, we obviously know they were kind of born to beat up on Golgari. That's the deck they were targeting from the start. Although I think they've moved a little bit away from like four to Kotli Guard main deck in a lot of spots.
0: Yeah, the the tokens deck is just like go wide, 16 one drops, kill you. And then they'll have honor guards in the sideboard for sure, but their plan A is just so much better against Golgari than hoping a one three sticks.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think they've gotten a lot more proactive, which which seems good. If we're going to the other pieces of the format, that kind of leaves us with Jeskai which, you know, won the GP last week. How do you see Jeskai lining up against this hyper-aggressive deck? You talked a little bit about maybe Deafening Clarion not being good enough, Banefire. Where's the resistance coming from? I'm I'm not really seeing it right now. Is it Selesnia, a deck that's almost gone from the <laughs> format at this point, it feels like?
0: So you, you mentioned Settle the Wreckage, and I do think that Jeskai or some sort of blue-white deck is the best obvious home for Settle. And Settle is good against the white deck, but they don't have to attack with everything. And Mm-hmm. Post board, they, they generally have a bunch of hammers. They'll splash experimental frenzy, uh, four mana Johnny, or just have Banefire too. So you still run into a lot of the same problems. And yeah, Clarion doesn't kill everything, Settle, they can kind of play around a lot of your stuff, like Teferi is just very, very vulnerable and doesn't necessarily do a whole lot. So I've I've played that matchup from the Jeskai side and it just it felt bad. I thought like, oh man, if I play Seal Away and I have Revitalize and all these things, like mm-hmm. everything will be fine. And it's just not, you know, like c- control is good, but the better control gets, the better people get at like tuning their decks to beat it. And the more practice they have at playing against it and your cards aren't really, you know, that powerful, right? It's like, they're, they're all these weird situational things that people can play around. They can just like bob and weave all over you.
1: Right, right. Well, I, I'm kind of feeling out of options now as we talk about you know, preparing for this top deck. I guess if there's one deck we haven't talked about, it's mono red. You know, a, a historically successful strategy when it comes to kind of this aggro arms race is red decks floating a little bit bigger, getting some battlefield presence, things like Rekindling Phoenix and... Goblin Chain Whirler potentially holding down the fort here and leaning on some sideboard sweepers out of the Mono Red deck. Is this something you've messed around with a little bit?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Chain Whirler is very, very good, and Experimental Frenzy is very good, but the rest mm-hmm. of the cards are just so bad. And it's not like your Golgari matchup is great or your Is it matchup is great. Like the, especially since the Arc Light decks are all moving towards Enigma Drake, so they just have this wealth of x4 creatures and a lot of the mono red decks don't play lava coil main decks so you know the the first drake even is just a huge problem post board you have some lava coils and some fight with fires but if they have dive down or spell pierce or just draw one more drake then you draw removal spells you know it's just a nightmare so mono red is is definitely not without its issues even if it is the kind of obvious way to answer the white deck
1: Okay, so it's time for me to dig a little bit deeper. Have you fogged anyone?
0: Uh, I haven't fogged anyone. I, I feel
1: like probably if you're hanging out with Efro, he he's done some fogging. I I know that he's a proponent of the deck or at least was in its previous incarnation.
0: Yeah, he probably has some fogged some folks. We we actually just haven't even talked about it. I don't know. I assume that he had tried fogging people and it didn't go well, and that's why I didn't bring it up, but who knows? Yeah, that's that's been my experience as well. I feel like the deck lost a lot and basically cannot beat a Niv-Mizzet. That was my experience, at least when I was still playing that is a deck splashing Eldest Reborn, was you just cast Niv-Mizzet and then they just kind of flounder and die. Just die on the spot. Scoop them up.
1: Yeah, yeah, I certainly agree with you. There are vulnerabilities for that deck, but we're talking about a, a format which seems to have congealed around battlefield presence and making very wide armies and very effective attacks so something like fog catches my eye in that instance but i think you're right that there's a card quality problem now and that didn't exist previously and uh it's just much harder i mean maybe those decks need to get more controlling have more answers as opposed to just like fogs you know maybe they're just four fog decks and more settle the wreckage seal away type stuff and i've seen some lists like that floating around moto but nothing. No, no breakout performances for a list like that. Nothing that indicates to me, yes, this is the solution to the format.
0: Yeah. One of the things about Golgari is that they adapted to the Niv-Mizzet stuff very quickly and started playing Plague Crafter. And yeah. one of the ways that Golgari has to change, I think, is that Carnage Tyrant is no longer just like the breaker that it was before. I think that you basically just have to drop them either entirely or relegate them to the sideboard or something. But even then, a lot of the control decks are just bringing in Star of Extinction against you anyway. So I think that uh, Wild Growth Walker is very good against the white deck, but it's just kind of this stopgap that doesn't necessarily completely contain them or lock it up like it does against Monored because eventually the white deck will build a big enough battlefield against you. But I do think that there could be some Golgari deck that's interested in racing and you could play the Convoke Fog if you wanted to. I think that might be where Fog's place in the metagame is.
1: Wow, that's a really interesting approach and definitely one I hadn't considered. Cool stuff for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, heroic reinforcements is kind of their big push. And if you just get to blow them out, I mean, you know, Convoke is potentially very strong. And if you just get to do it for very little mana while also developing your board, I think that's huge. Like, that's just kind of game breaking.
1: I mean, is that too narrow of an effect to actually have in your main deck? Do you view this as more of a sideboard strategy or do you think it's good enough that you can just get away with playing it main?
0: Oh, no, it's it's got to be a sideboard card. I, I kind of liken it to playing you know, any sort of life gain card against Mono Red, like Life Goes On or Feed the Clan, that sort of thing. It's just right. the white deck will generally beat you with one very, very good turn. And it's always just like, oh man, if I could just untap, like... I would have been able to play all these Jade Light Rangers and gain all this life with Wild Growth Walker and stuff, and, and now maybe you can.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Uh, so on the topic of other green options, talking about things like that, what about a larger version version of Selesnya than we've previously seen? I, I know there's a list floating around the 5 O's, which is kind of like more mid-rangey. Uh, it's actually a Batutinha list, uh, Moto Grinder that I'm looking at right now. Kind of a bigger white-green style deck, you know, History of Benalias, the Six Planeswalkers in a Johnny and Vivian reads, and there's some Carnage Tyrants even in the top end, Conclave Cavaliers, uh, a much bigger approach to the Celesnia decks than we've seen in the past, uh, going all the way up to Angels. And if we're talking about Golgari adapting, and maybe we're seeing the number of Chupacabras decrease, I think that's a fair statement. Maybe you can do Angel-type stuff again and just have, you know, these big bodies on the battlefield bailing you out, and then you get Settler Wreckage in post-board games and can beat up on these go-wide decks.
0: Yeah, I mean, this This could just be another deck that can utilize Fog to some degree. I mean, I do think that yeah. this is exactly the sort of deck where if you get one more untap step, it's possible that you just get to play out enough things to stabilize. Uh, I think Golgari does that a little bit better because they're always threatening to get to land six and cast Finality or maybe find a Plague mare out of the sideboard or something. Uh, whereas this deck is just like, all right, I'm going to play two more creatures or maybe hit you with a Lyra or something, and maybe that puts him out of range, but yeah, I don't know. I Conclave Cavalier is definitely something I can't really get behind because of how prevalent Lava, Lava Coil. Coil is. I agree. And, and I don't know, I, not not playing the Honor Guard's main is kind of weird to me. And this deck is basically mono white splashing Vivian and Carnage Tyrant, which is also kind of weird to me. But I don't know. I, I don't think the big white decks are all that good. I think that they did a good job in the hands of Brad Nelson and some of the PGO at GP New Jersey, but now I think people have kind of adapted to that too. I don't know. I, th- I think if I were going to play an Adonto Vanguard deck, like, hey, I would play four of them, unlike Batutina's three. But I would also yeah, we probably see just a play lot in the of the, token deck. the
1: three Vanguard stuff. I don't. I don't know why we keep coming across three Vanguard lists over and over when it's such an incredible card.
0: Have you ever played it against an Is it opponent? They just can't win.
1: I've I've been the is it opponent many times, yeah. and I'm very sad whenever I see that card.
0: Yeah, there's just no good answer. It's it's kind of absurd.
1: Yeah, I've certainly remar- remarked seeing it on turn two. Okay, you win, like kind of glibly, but yeah, you feel that way sometimes.
0: Yeah, just no matter what, you're like, oh, this, this game's gonna be tough. I don't know how I'm yeah. gonna do this, but
1: right. Uh, so just kind of plugging along to some more obscure strategies that I want to know if you've thought about Path of Discovery. Uh, this was a card that started showing up fairly recently, but it's been around. I know people are excited about it. Is this a card you've messed with at all? Have you tried to do these big explore things and gain a ton of life with wild growth Walker?
0: I've played against it a lot. I do think that, again, this, this is a deck that could maybe utilize those fogs because you go bigger and, you know, things like Tristani, Immortal Sun, Path of Discovery, you're eventually going to build a bigger board than, the red white deck. It's just whether or not in the meantime they nickel and dime you out with heroic reinforcements. Right. So you you need a way to get past that big turn, and the the fog could be good enough to do it. But I haven't actually played these decks myself. I I don't know. It, it does look kind of bad, right? Because you have these cards like Path of Discovery, which don't add to the battlefield, and you're just like, is this actually beating up on Golgari when you know they have Vivian Reed and everything? I mean, I know Immortal Sun is. a a pretty big game against them, but they still have like Assassin's Trophy and stuff too. I just find it hard to believe that everything kind of lines up.
1: I think that's fair. And historically, I have not been a believer in Path for basically the reasons you're stating. Paying four mana and doing nothing in this format, I don't know. I'm not sold on that being a viable Path to Victory as it stands now. I've certainly seen some incredible turns after untapping with a Path of Discovery in play. Oh, yeah but it's hard to give up your four drop slot right now. It, it's a really key breaking point in the format. And especially as decks get more aggressive, like that, it's just not realistic to go like turn two dude, turn three dude, path of discovery. Well, you just lost the game probably. You, you're getting blown out on the spot. Um, so yeah, they, I, I'm, I'm not particularly sold on it.
0: They play heroic reinforcements. You take 12 damage or whatever, and you're just kind of wondering what you're doing with your life. But uh, yeah, just looking at this deck and thinking about the Boros matchup, I would probably want to side out the Path of Discoveries and the Immortal Suns just because you could potentially rely on Tristani and March and you need something else in in those early turns to actually help you stabilize. I just don't know what the best card for that job is.
1: Yeah. Oh, your idea of fog sounds appealing for sure. And I I get what you're saying as far as that goes. Okay. I'm sick of, of picking at you for your take on this format. Tell me where you stand now. I'm. We're on the, the final hour as we head into the pro tour. Where do you lean? Where do you see your edge? Do you think you just haven't found one and you're going to have to settle for playing something that's kind of in line with what everyone else is doing and, and hoping you play well and get there?
0: Well, when the metagame is kind of open and you know that you have to beat this white token deck and then a little bit of everything else. I, I'm basically just looking for a deck that is good and solid because I tried to build these metagame decks and you know try and break it and everything. And I, I think for the three days or whatever that I had that Grixis deck, it was there. But now it's just like, well, what is what's just a good deck? What is a deck that is very consistent, is capable of interacting with my opponent, doesn't have a lot of inherent weaknesses? And I'm looking at, like, the green explore cards, right? Where it's like, those add a lot to your consistency. And things like Vivian Reed are really great, really powerful, and uh, basically always just gonna be well-positioned, you know? And it's like, oh, maybe I should play some sort of Golgari deck, but I don't know, man. It, like, the the white deck is, the matchup is still not good. You can play a little bit more spot removal, but then that makes you worse against control. You could do some stuff like main deck Plague mare or whatever, but again, it just causes like the same problems. And I don't think that you can just play like a stock Golgari deck and have a good matchup against that sort of deck. I just don't think it's really possible. Is it has problems with Adonto Vanguard just straight up? I do think that the Arclight deck is good in that you have a bunch of cantrips, so you can always filter through excess lands and it doesn't really feel like, you know, you're getting flooded or mana screwed or anything. But at the same time, you're just kind of, floundering in the early game, not necessarily accomplishing a whole lot, but you do kind of make up for that for having really powerful combo-ish, like almost modern-like turns where, you know, you're playing a, a 10-4 flyer for three mana or re- returning three Arc Arclight Phoenixes on turn four, you know, like you can do some busted stuff. So there's some appeal there, but it's just not very consistent and you're just kind of scooping to a two drop, which sucks.
1: So let me push you a little bit on that issue. Obviously, We've talked about uh, Is It Phoenix a lot here on the show. Uh, we kind of were lucky enough to get in on the ground floor and and develop it as, as things were going along. So you are correctly recognizing vulnerabilities as it stands right now with the version that we worked on. Do you give any credence to the fact that these newer, I, I dubbed them in my article today, eight Drake versions relying on Enigma Drake. And I've even seen now 18 land versions of this deck just focused on on doing this Enigma Drake stuff as soon as possible. Do you give any credence to that style of deck? Do you think that having the 1-4 on turn three is doing anything to change the math in that matchup? Or is it just like, I kind of view it as a a narrower version of the deck. It certainly doesn't transition as well to post-board plans. Right. But when we're talking about post-board plans kind of being blown up right now and a little bit weaker, well, maybe that's okay. Maybe you're okay just taking your lumps and... and being on this more linear plan in, in all three games at this point.
0: Yeah, I, Plague Crafter is a giant issue for you. Just it, It's always going to be. It's a huge tempo loss generally. What I was trying to do, since you have so much filtering between Charter Course and Tormenting Voice, was play some main deck Fiery Cannonades, but it just wasn't enough. It, like, it, it wasn't good enough to actually swing the matchup one way or the other. So I think... Your best bet is to probably just play all the shocks, maybe a couple spell pierces, and as many drakes as you feel like you can realistically play. Like, I, I would not play Goblin Electromancer. I would try to play as many of the R cantrips as you possibly could and just try and race them. Just play to maximize velocities, and that's it. But after playing with it, it's like the, the plan's not great. Like, you know, you're 35% or something, maybe, but. Also, like you mentioned, you play against stuff like Golgari and where before I was having a lot of good success with boarding in things like Search for Ascanta, Star of Extinction, it Dive Down, and just going this like weird, more controlling route. I I just don't think that that really beats them anymore. So maybe it's fine that you're more narrow, but you certainly lack options when you start playing all the Drakes.
1: Right, and that's been my kind of point of hesitance in picking up that deck i i I like the versatility of the postboard plans you get out of electromancer versions it's just like uh, i don't know if that versatility matters anymore it's versatility in service of nothing it's not actually accomplishing anything at this point
0: yeah i think this pro tour has kind of circled back around to being kind of wide open again so now, rather than hard targeting things with main deck to Cotyleon or Guards and Star of Extinctions and Immortal Suns and stuff like that, I think it is just like build a good plan. And you know, like the I think the Drake deck probably does that pretty well. Where if you do just build your deck to have some removal to slow your opponent down, a bunch of Drakes, some maximize velocities, and like post board, maybe you add some counter spells or you add some extra removal spells. Like that—that that is completely a viable plan, and I could totally see people just making that choice for the pro tour.
1: Sure, and you know, let's not act like there's no outs to a playcrafter either. You could do things like—I uh, have not been impressed with this card, but their Legion War Boss exists, and you know, in in certain matchups, that's a very viable plan in and of itself. Uh, I, I think there's probably better ways to address that as far as the Drake's deck goes, but there's options, is my point. It doesn't have to continue to look the way it has leading up to this point. And, and I don't think any deck will. I think every deck is going to come out of this Pro Tour with a very different face than it had in the first few weeks of this format.
0: Yeah. The the problem is, kind of like with every Pro Tour, is there's, there's nothing that is just a slam dunk, you know? The white-red deck is probably the closest to it, but I think that there's going to be this huge knee-jerk reaction to making sure you're able to beat it and I think that you're just too vulnerable to play something like that. I mean, like we're all experimenting with like main deck fiery candidates and stuff. Like, do you really want to <laughs> sign up for the pro tour with like this white weenie deck that is just running headfirst and all that stuff. Like, it just seems like a bad idea. You know, the, the pro tour is, is going to solidify the metagame. I think, I think after this, like we're going to see actually like, what are the good decks? What can stand up to a hostile environment? And, there will probably be a, a lot of refinement going on for Golgari, Jeskai, it, and all the other decks too. Uh,
1: mostly mostly agree. I think that's where we're going to come out of this whole ordeal. And honestly, as a viewer, it's incredibly exciting. It feels really refreshing to just have no idea what's going to happen to this pro tour. Usually I really feel like by the time we get to the last few days leading into a pro tour, I've got my finger on the pulse. I can pretty reasonably expect what's going to happen, you know, with a few small surprises here or there, but I mostly get it figured out. And I don't feel that way right now. I don't know what this pro tour is going to bring. And it's it's a really nice, exciting feeling.
0: Well, one of the things that I try and do, especially when a creature deck is the de facto best deck or the the litmus test is just what is the best removal that, lines up against this deck where it's like, I don't want to try super hard to beat you and play like fiery cannonade main deck because it's just so bad in every other spot, right? But what are some removal spells or even creatures I could play that brick wall you and the black removal is just kind of a constant where it, it keeps coming up where you know you have access to Plague Crafter, Plague Mare, moment of craving, uh, cast down kills to Kotli Guard if that's a problem. You have Raska's Contempt. Like Black has so many good options, but what the hell do you do with it?
1: Have you spent any time messing around with, I, I will always now think of them as VTCLA style Grixis oh, decks. Oh yeah. That, oh yeah. Yeah?
0: A little bit. I mean, I've, I've definitely put in my fair share of hours with Grixis, just period, over the course of this format. But for a three color deck that has very little life gain, not a lot of good threats, and your game plan is play 12 removal spells, hope it's good enough, but also, you know, sideboard eight cards against control to help that match up. It's just, it has every single mid range problem in the book, you know, like l- complete lack of closing speed. Just every problem is there.
1: Classic Grixis. That's, that's kind of been my feeling on the archetype from the beginning. I mean,. <laughs> The closing speed thing when I was doing like Bolus into Doom Whisperer, sometimes I was like, oh, we finally solved this problem. This deck just controls the first couple turns and then ends things. But you're right. There, there's very uh, diverse threats right now that demand an answer. You can't just sit there doing setup for the first few turns and you're going to need to have a moment of craving in the right spot or you're going to need to have a golden demise to clean up the board. And if you don't, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble and getting that mix right is a very difficult thing to do.
0: Yeah, I, I do think that the black cards are quite good. I just don't know what to do with them. And Golgari, since you're leaning on explore creatures and want wild growth walker and all of this other stuff, I don't think that you can play too many removal spells. You know, it's like maybe you could play six or something, but mm. you you don't get thought erasure. I still don't think disinformation campaign is like a, a real magic card, but whatever. agree, uh, I agree. Yeah, I just, I wish there was something else. Like you get to play all these removal spells, Thought Erasure, maybe Nickel Bulls, maybe Doom Whisperer, but Vivian Reed is still just going to, you know, beat you up and take your lunch money. So I, I don't know, man.
1: Yeah, there's an answer to everything, it seems like. And you can come up with a reason not to play basically every deck in the format. If you had to put a guess on a sleeper archetype that just kind of comes out of nowhere and has a. Pretty decent performance at this Pro Tour. Is there anything that catches your eye? I mean, we've seen like dinosaur decks in the 5-0s. I'm looking at a weirdo Jeskai uh, Chamber Sentry deck right now. So props to Yuanji for getting on board the Chamber Sentry train. It's it's just me and you here, buddy. So I'm I'm happy to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Any weird stuff that you've seen going on that you say, okay, yeah, maybe this is ready for a breakout performance.
0: So Yuanji is a friend of Oliver Tomiko's. So Oliver okay. Oliver posted that deck in our in our group thing before it got posted. And he's like, yo, my friend 5-0'd with this. And I'm just like, what the hell is this?
1: <laughs> I love it. Awesome. I don't know if I actually love it. There's a there, there's cool stuff going on.
0: Yeah, I played against someone who had copied the list also in in a league. And I was like, oh no. Like don't don't let this be a thing.
1: <laughs> it's happening. It's happening.
0: Overall, I think Niv-Mizzet was poised to kind of be the breakout card of this Pro Tour until this, this white shenanigan stuff happens. I still think that Niv is just great against basically everyone. Like, I, just if you untap with it, it's so hard to lose. It's almost impossible to lose. Great. And what what more can you ask from a six-mana card, you know? And it's just finding the best way to to dodge whatever answers they have. You know, maybe it is like playing Grixis and having Thought Erasure for Playcrafter or whatever. I don't think it's dive down anymore, but there is definitely a way to do it. I haven't really figured it out. I think that Jeskai decks would benefit from leaning a little harder on niv rather than Teferi, because I think that they are pretty good at buying time and everything, but as as far as breakout deck, I do think it's going to be some sort of black deck, and I think that it will probably be Grixis something. Okay. Interesting.
1: Uh, how about one more prediction from you? This is always a hard one, but I, I like playing this game going into a Pro Tour. Give me the hot financial spec. What breaks out dollar dollar bills wise from this Pro Tour?
0: Uh, for for Mythic Rare, I mean Arc Light kind of already did that, right? So yeah, that's blown up. Actual Rare Niv Mizzet was like two dollars, but it's tough with this set where there is just so much value all over the place. Like you have Shocklands, you have Assassin's Trophy. Uh, experimental frenzy like all of these good cards at rare and a bunch of decent stuff at mythic so it's really hard for a rare to actually like blow up even more so i don't even know how much like niv-mizzet would go up or whatever but i do think that niv-mizzet is going to be a very very large part of this pro tour interesting so if if you're interested in like penny stocks basically like making 50 cents per card or whatever like that's probably it
1: yeah i was looking for more like the 20 dollar pickup but I, i guess those are tough to give out right
0: no man, if if I knew that, I would probably have uh, some hot tech and I would not be lost but seeking, but here I am, you know. That
1: is true. Okay. So I think we're coming to the end of my grilling you. I want to make a prediction about what you're going to end up playing. If if I get it right, are you going to tell me or is it one of those wait and see prediction type things where I just get to uh... look like an idiot and it's gonna be great?
0: Since this is going up Thursday night and I do have other people on my team, I will neither confirm nor deny, but I will certainly tell you after the show is done and I will post my list Friday night on the Patreon. So,
1: Okay. I think you're still going to play a blue red deck. I think you're going to find some type of visit configuration that works for you. I think that your assessment of wearing the white weenie target, I don't like that name anymore. The the white aggressive deck target uh, is, is accurate. It's a dangerous position to take. I think a lot of bright people will come to the same conclusion and get scared away from the deck. And then you'll be able to exploit a field which has fewer Adanto vanguards than you would initially expect. And I also think some people will find a configuration of a black deck that they like, be it either Golgari or Grixis. And by the time we get to the winner's metagame, which I think it's critical to build your ProTor deck for the winner's metagame. And it's a mistake that I've made in the past where I have a very good day one deck and just get blown up on day two. It's something that's happened to me several times now. In retrospect, I can always identify, right, I didn't build for the winner's metagame and that's why I found myself in this position. Over the course of a long tournament, filtering will happen and you kind of need to set yourself up to exploit that. And I think you're going to find a version of it that does that and gets you to where you want to be.
0: Word, what do you think changes between the metagame and the winner's metagame. In
1: this instance, I, I think exactly what I expressed, it, it's the decline of Vedanto Vanguard. It will be appropriately targeted, and these white decks will kind of fall out of favor as the tournament goes on.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Th- thinking about it now and looking, like I'm looking at the metagame breakdown on Goldfish and everything, and thinking about past Pro Tours and everything, I think it's safe for you to assume that I'm not playing this this white aggro deck, and that is accurate, but Thinking about Pro Tour's past, you know, it's like Mono Red was the moto deck and it won the PT. Zombies was the moto deck and it won the PT. And this one I think is being accurately respected when the other ones necessarily weren't. So that's kind of why I am where I am. But I've put a lot of stock in Magic Online lately and like the, the Hive Mind to basically figure out what's good. And they have decided that this Boros Aggro deck is good. And maybe I'm making a mistake by not playing it
1: well maybe i mean you bring up zombies right and you certainly bought into that and uh were rewarded for it i i think you're right though this feels different i mean like lessons are learned by the hive mind and that hive mind includes people showing up for the pro tour and i think that in those two instances you're spot on. Respect was not given. Adaptations were not made. But like you said, things are starting to change. And just the level of magic discourse feels like it's at a really high point right now. There's a lot of good discussion, a lot of good articles being written. And I think people mostly get that things don't stay static anymore. And people had this expectation that information from a week ago was still good going into the pro tour. I think We've done a lot to discredit that notion and and make clear that when you presume something from a week ago is going to hold, you're generally going to get punished for it at this stage of magic because things do happen so quickly. And uh, it feels like the memo is starting to get passed around on that. And that's why I believe there could be an appropriate response to the white deck here.
0: Oh my God. How did this happen? I wish the pro tour was
1: a week ago. (laughs) I have been in that spot and no amount of wishing is going to bring it back to the metagame you had figured out. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I would pay a lot of money to have the Pro Tour a week ago, though. I pl- yeah. Like not, o- not only do I think our deck was good, it was sweet, and that's what both really
1: times matters. that happened to me, I, I stubbornly held on to my deck, and I knew going in things had changed. The two instances I'm thinking of are when I played Rally the Ancestors and when I played Red Green Landfall, and like when we discovered our version of Red Green Landfall, which was weeks before the Pro Tour. It was killing it like i'm talking 75 to 80 percent win rates just the format was not prepared to answer what we were doing and then a similar red deck won like the scg two weeks before and the entire metagame shifted and now everyone had appropriate answers and our win rate basically plummeted and i showed up with a good day one deck and then i got murdered on day two
0: dude that was kind of my fault i played brian de in the swiss of that open And afterward, he's like, how do you think I should have sideboarded against you? And like, I helped him with sideboarding. And then I played him again in top eight because I was the one he was the eight. And then he, he used his like newfound sideboarding information to just completely dismantle me and then he went on to win the tournament. So, you're welcome.
1: So, if you just beat him, then I end up with an amazing deck. Thanks for thanks for failing me there.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I was also on the team with Corey Burkhart and like I was one of the people that started working on that landfall deck and then Corey just kind of like picked it up and ran with it and a bunch of people on our team ended up playing it. So, it is it is weird how I have like a lot of <laughs> a lot of hand in that. It's just so bizarre that that's one of the instances that you bring up
1: sure sure yeah uh you know magic paths intertwine all the time and that's certainly a funny instance of it doing so uh any closing points as we talk about your preparation for this pro tour anything else you want to get out there want to tell us any stories from testing that were interesting
0: i wish that i could play more of this format like this seems like a really fun format to play week to week you know in in big tournaments like I, i think back to the old uh scg tour days you know where i would just play callblade every week and yeah granted that was callblade, right so it's just kind of busted but this this seems like it would be a fun format to try and metagame and everything every single week whereas putting all of my stock into one big tournament is just just mm. kind of silly and sort of a feel bad where it's like i think over time i could get the hang of this and do a really good job but given how things are, it's just like, you know, I, I do feel lost. So I don't know. We we made a choice. And uh, I mean, I, I guess technically I have about three more hours to submit my deck list or whatever, but I'm not going to go too crazy. I'm certainly, need- I'm definitely, definitely not looking at various Boros aggro decks on online right now. I'm certainly not doing that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, if we talked to my... Co-host of the Head Games podcast, Jonathan Carter, he would probably be giving advice to you that it's time to stop and just get some mental composure, do some decompressing and have faith in your choices. You've, You've come to the point that you got to for a reason. And I don't think I mean, it's possible, but I don't think I've revealed any new information to you over the course of this cast that should have you fundamentally changing your stance after just an hour of discussion.
0: No, I I don't think it's you. I mean, it's you being here and having the conversation with me and me being to explain everything and think about stuff. And I'm just like, well, these past pro tours, even when this breakout deck happened a little bit beforehand, it still crushed the PT because enough people were already locked in. You know, there's people don't necessarily have the capability of being super fluid, right? Like maybe they didn't bring all their cards or, whatever who knows maybe they've just played golgari for three weeks and they just want to stick with it
1: there's going to be some of that but again i would point to the difference between the top of the metagame and the broader metagame oh and yeah you're you're here for first place right and like look if you take the stance that people are going to adapt and then you get blown out on day one by a bunch of those white decks that's a completely plausible outcome that basically by making that decision you've signed up for and are willing to accept. But the alternative to that is you get to your day two meta game and you're able to absolutely dominate and then bring home another pro tour trophy.
0: Yeah. Registering Boros is basically just like, I have no respect for my other competitors in this field. I don't think that they're going to do their kind due of. diligence and it's just kind of like spitting in their face. I don't know.
1: There's a little bit of that going on. Yeah. I think, I think that's a fair way of putting it. You know, trust yourself. That's that's my final piece of advice. I think you've gotten
0: to where you've gotten for a reason. Oh, uh, it's so hard, though. I what about know. the imposter syndrome and all the the second guessing and it's it's all it's all uh, again. A mess. If you
1: have been listening, if you have been listening to Head Games, I've we've given you the tools to deal with imposter syndrome. I have. You belong here, Jerry. You are absolutely one of the best players in the world. You've made these decisions before. Trust yourself. It's a good decision. No more second I, guessing. We're wrapping I, it up. I
0: think right it now. was four and five, where it was like motivation into imposter syndrome, and I'm just like, oh my god, this podcast is for me. Just like all of these topics just speak to me, <laughs> and they were they were yeah, helpful yeah, we, and they uh, were nice, but I don't I don't feel cured. So,
1: no, no, and that's the thing about these kind of mental issues is that you you can't cure, them. they're always going to be there, and they're always going to resurface. And you need to rely on the people you trust to talk you down in moments. And that's what I'm doing right now. I have faith in you. I'm sure you've made a good decision.
0: That makes one of us. Lost but seeking.
1: <laughs> All right. Why don't, you're finding. That's my, that's my final opinion on it. Why don't we uh, do a question to wrap up our show this week? Do you have a question you like?
0: Absolutely. So RNR asks, how are you preparing differently for this pro tour considering how fast changing the standard metagame is online and in paper? Is the approach still the same? Are you taking more risks in your 75 or will the draft portion make a bigger difference?
1: Well, obviously this is a question, you know, pretty squarely targeted at you. So let's see what you have to say and then I'll respond to your answers.
0: Yeah, honestly, this is a good question because I didn't even really consider this it was just business as usual and doing things as I normally have done. And I I thought maybe, I guess at some point that the metagame would slow down and we would stop seeing like these new decks pop up and everything, but we haven't. So if the next set leads to more of the same stuff happening, I'm going to have to think about this a lot. Like maybe it isn't just locking on, on deck or, you know, play 10 leagues with one deck or whatever it is. Try to play with every single deck that you can just a little bit to get a feel for it and figure out the matchups and stuff, and then just kind of keep that in your back pocket. But don't really focus too much on hammering out details so much as just getting reps in. And I I think that might be more valuable. So yeah, remind me for next pro tour to do that, assuming things look the same, you know, but the, the draft portion always matters, and I mean, if, if I six o draft at a Pro Tour, which I don't think I ever have done, I've one I've a few times, I don't think I've ever 6-0'd, but if you ever 6-0, I mean, it's, if you have a reasonable constructed deck, you have a very, very good shot at making top eight. so yeah, I hope I get lucky.
1: Well, that that made me feel fairly terrible, but outside of the the draft advice, sorry. Let me give you – that's fine. That's fine. I'm over it. Let me give you a corollary here. How about the idea that people who have settled in on, say, Golgari, from week one, just jamming Golgari over and over and over. Now know all the tools, know all the potential adaptations, and are just in a spot where they can say, okay, I know what people are doing here. I know how to answer this particular metagame, and I'm ready to go. Here's my Golgari deck. I'm confident this is the right approach. Do you put any stock in approaching a metagame like this in that fashion?
0: Well, A, that's boring. And B, (laughs) B, you likely learn a lot more by Playing the other sides of matchups too. So I think that you should not just completely ignore that. But yeah, there, there is merit to that. Assuming it's something like Golgari where your deck is infinitely customizable and yeah, you, you have the tools to beat everything. I don't think a lot of decks can, can really do that. Either you're doing something like Mono Red and you're just like, well, I'm ignoring mostly what people are doing. So it doesn't matter. And you know, maybe six of your sideboard cards change week to week or whatever, And yeah, maybe you play Golgari and you play like Gruesome Menagerie and Hulk and Carnage Tyrant and Doom Whisperer, like Elvish Rejuvenator. You just play all the different versions, find out what they're good against, what they're bad against, have a comprehensive list of different cards that you could play to affect certain types of matchups and stuff. And yeah, maybe you just show up to every tournament with your trusty Golgari box, right? You just have a box full of all the playable Golgari cards and standard and go from there. Uh, I, I do think that, that is, that's one way to do it. Control could maybe do the same thing.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that's what Willie is going to do, right? We already know that. That's uh, most authoritatively. He's going to show up with the green-black deck. In fact, I think I saw him on Twitter offering to help other green-black mages in every matchup but the really? mirror. So you know he's... Yeah, absolutely. So he's obviously been focused on this deck from the beginning, and he probably knows it inside and out, and he's comfortable with that as his approach. I'm like you. I... Uh, preparing for a pro tour that way seems incredibly crazy to me. I need to know multiple matchups. I need to know both sides of them. I I can't take that approach to magic. I never have been able to. But we certainly know people who do and who find success doing so. You know, someone like Shaheen comes to mind who just carries around a bunch of Esper cards with him. I'm assuming everywhere he goes in case he has to build an Esper deck on the spot. And I basically never like his decklist and he always succeeds with them. So there's like value in his knowledge of archetypes and knowing how he wants to play matchups. And we've seen people take this approach. I don't know if that approach is better in this type of metagame though, or a more static one. I, I really have no idea because I've never done it myself, but interesting two sides to the coin. And I, I'm not sure which approach you were supposed to take for this tournament.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so Willie's tweet is awesome and i just immediately retweeted it and it happened five hours ago which i think was uh when i was starting my nap and (laughs) i didn't see it for that reason but this is really cool and i'll have to ask him about this and like what his experience was so maybe i'll have some uh some follow-up on next week's cast
1: cool i i can't wait to hear it i certainly along with all of our listeners I'm sure are wishing you the best of luck I'm hoping for a nice sweat I get to you know follow your progress and see you make the top eight how about I kind of want to guarantee I'll fly out to support you if you make the top eight is that motivation for you or does that put too much pressure on you
0: no I think I think I'm gonna two one my draft I think I'm oh gonna my God, here we go I think here I'm gonna go. maybe th- maybe three two into day two. And then I might one to this draft and then like lose my first two rounds constructed and drop. I think that's going to be my tournament.
1: Cool. I'll I'll see you on Sunday.
0: (laughs) That's game.